0: Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast, along with my partner, Brian Siegler. I'm Curtis Wilson. This episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast is presented by Dr. Jeremy Counts at Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg. If you love this podcast, if you love the Hokies, if you love the town of Blacksburg, make sure you are supporting Main Street Pharmacy when you make your way to town.
1: And listeners, we got a little homework for you tonight. Uh, We just got some stickers shipped there into the pharmacy, so go by, say hello to Jeremy, his team, and let him know that Curtis and Brian sent you down there to 301 South Main Street in Blacksburg. Get yourself a free Boundary Corner Podcast sticker.
0: Buddy, back on a Tuesday night, feeling a lot better this week. How's everything been on
1: your side of town this week? Man, it's been a uh, it's been a busy week so far, man. We've got a couple projects I've been working on, couple couple fun things around the house, couple big things at work. So it's it's been one of them weeks. I know it's been uh, man I like that for you too.
0: Oh yeah, I mean it's it's fall. It's between sports, work being absolutely crazy this month, um, which is what it is. I get a little reprieve in November, which November and December, even though. I'm still working on some additional projects at work. Uh, Not as much as my time being focused, having to do a bunch of stuff because the culmination is not till January. It was kind of that slow build where this month it's like, here's everything, go do it, and then okay, then you're gonna get sick, and then some fams gonna get sick, so you're gonna be feeling it, but. It's all better now, looking forward to a fun week of college football, including we the at at NC State on Thursday night at 7.30. Um, we're definitely going to be talking about Know the Enemy this week, but what we're going to kick it off here tonight is something that it's already been rumbling because obviously we're seeing players enter the transfer portal. And so me and Brian a couple weeks ago kicked around, well, how many do we need? And where do they need to be? So we're going to look into that first, and then we're going to do the normal stuff we do on Thursday night. So, Brian, let's talk about it. Obviously, we did not have a bigger transfer portal this year. Only took in about six players, only about nine left. As compared to someone like Duke, who took in 13, Brian will send you one, Robbie. Yeah. Duke took in 13, kicked out about 19. So, everybody's saying, look at Duke this year. They're doing great. Elko came in and started booting guys and bringing in a lot of people immediately. And is it something probably could have did? Probably. But now we're at the point he at least has had the time to evaluate this roster in full. And, you know, I think it's time we look into a portal next year. I mean, I know you're feeling the same way, Brian.
1: Yeah, I think from a – it almost seems like from, from the perspective that Pry had, he was taking a little bit more of a conservative approach to year one, evaluating what we have, and, and then making some moves after that. Whereas uh, Elko at Duke definitely took the more aggressive approach, and it's paid off for him. They've had some yeah. success early in this year. So, I mean, kudos to him for being aggressive, getting 13 in the portal, cutting some, some a little more dead weight on, on the back end there. So, I mean, a good overall flip for him. And to be honest, you know, you said 13. I'm thinking 10 to 12, maybe even, you know, 13, 14 would be the number that we're looking at uh, shooting for this offseason in terms of additions. Um, we need to be aggressive this offseason in filling some of the holes we have, looking at, at where we can get better, looking at where we can add depth, and kind of filling this roster out that was left decimated the last two to three years of the Fuente era. That's true. And
0: that's and that's really where it is. And we're seeing as the season has progressed, we're seeing where the holes are. But we're also seeing, and again, you talk about the conservative approach, but we're also seeing where we're developing, right? You know, you're seeing a Daquan, right? And Daewon Lofton. I know a lot of people were feeling like Lofton was going to be a thousand yard receiver, but still from a guy who only had seven catches last year, he's stepping up. Aquan right stepping up. So I get the approach because, again, if this is a five- to six-year thing, which a lot of people aren't going to like to hear that, but in reality, you know, if you're building it the right way, it is going to take longer, but it's a lot easier to fill holes, right? Because you know, like right now, man, my back end, I don't think, you know, if we take something in the back end, it's going to be more depth than anything.
1: It's going to be depth, maybe a starting safety or or rotational caliber safety, but I think in terms of the young depth combined with what we're bringing in in the the, the current class, we're kind of set at the cornerback position. Yeah, Uh, Seeing what we got with with Delane, seeing what we've got uh, with Cam Johnson already, get a healthy Dorian Strong coming back, DJ Harvey. Uh, you know that that's four right there that we're seeing some heavy playing time and that are have shown the capability to be a, that type of player, uh, for this team. So you already got four, and that's before you start adding in some younger guys and some of the development on the back end of guys that are already on the roster. All right, so let's start. We said
0: our ballpark numbers ten to twelve. We're gonna look at twelve tonight. Brian is saying we can go up to fifteen, and you know you guys be liberal or conservative as you want as you fill in the spots, but let's look on offense because obviously that's where we're feeling the higher number. We're saying of our 12, we're saying seven on offense. Now, even though there has been some steps taken in the wide receiver room, Brian, me and you kind of came to the conclusion, we have to have at least two from the portal to help with depth. And we really need, and I know Caleb Smith is eligible next year the COVID year, because the way it all works out, he has one more year of eligibility. But if he decides to leave,
1: and even if he doesn't decide to leave, one of those two yeah. has to be a starter. Has to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. One one has to be a starter. Uh, and two is kind of the minimum. That's definitely the jumping off point. Um, I feel like we could be really aggressive here because I think bringing in bodies, you're going to get, a decent amount of uh run in the, in, in spring, you're going to get a decent amount of run next year. You'll at least see what you got. Everybody's going to get a shot if you're bringing in three, um, especially if Caleb Smith in, ends up moving on. So uh, I would be very aggressive at that position this off season in terms of the transfer portal.
0: But what would you be looking for there? Like to me, I look at Dwayne Lofton and he's a slot. Obviously, Jaden Blue's gone after this year with, you know, is it a why? Is that what we need to start? In? is it a
1: why? Um, I mean, I think the big thing is you're, you're going to look to get a playmaker a guy that can be a true one. So yeah, I think you're looking more for like an X receiver and then you let uh, Caleb Smith kind of be that number two. Uh, if he returns, and if not, you look for a guy like Jalen Jones or Christian Moss to kind of step into that role next year.
0: All right. So there's that wide out. We're looking
1: two, maybe three
0: there. Now the next one, obviously, Brian, this is the one where you feel like we have to go attack already, and that's offensive line. Brian, right. we, we kind of came to the conclusion, three offensive linemen regardless, two starting caliber. And just so happens, just a couple weeks ago, a guy who had started at numerous positions for Wisconsin yep. entered the portal. He was a big time recruit coming out for Wisconsin when they came, and he's played what was it left guard, right guard, and right tackle. And you know, obviously, like the writing's on the wall, right? He comes in. He I, I don't know what happened this year. I don't follow Wisconsin close enough, but clearly. Four games in, he's he's leaving.
1: Something happened. Something went down. Something. <laughs> but I don't. I, from the sounds of it, it's not something that would be a deal breaking situation with another team. Or I, we would have heard, I think, a lot more about it at this point. That's just my opinion. Now,
0: where are you primarily looking? Obviously, with not seeing Xavier Chaplin this year. Is someone like the guy from Wisconsin? I mean, is it going to be left tackle, right tackle, center? Or
1: we, it need a it, we need at least one tackle and we need at least a center, um, in my opinion. If we end up getting, probably, I'd like to get a swing guy. So if we look at the, you know, the kid from Wisconsin, that would be a great, you know, guard, guard tackle combo. You could wherever you need to fit him in, fit him in. Uh, get a true tackle. Um, and then whether it's front line or depth, and then you get a potential starting caliber center that can push what looks like Jack Hollyfield for that starting job next year. Um, you know, I haven't seen enough of him outside of the spring game to really determine whether that's something that I'm comfortable with um, as far as the starting. So I, I definitely want to try to get a center in the portal as we try to build this line back up and backfill with some of these recruits.
0: Yeah, and, and that's the piece. It's it's finding starting caliber offensive linemen. It's not just finding linemen. There's going to be plenty of offensive linemen in the portal. I don't even doubt yeah. that. But finding someone to actually be able to play. Um, and that's where, you know, you, you hate to say it, it's guys coming off injuries it's potentially a younger guy who has shown out and is looking for that starting job. Right. Like, like, and I hate to say it's someone like, and I hope it doesn't happen to us. It's someone like Braylon Moore who we've seen on tape. He can play at a D one level. And you have somebody like that, that is I'm not going to say enamored, but doesn't see that his offensive line coach has put a lot of guys in the NFL and coached up a lot of guys.
1: Yeah, that's that's kind of the big thing. Um, you know, we're we got we got a lot of lot of holes to fill on that that unit right now. It's true, a lot of holes.
0: Um, and it's a lot of holes. And it's it's we we were talking just before we came on here. You know, talking about wells, talking about kind of the offense in general. But if the offensive line play. Like the way we saw it was, or the way I've seen it, and Brian, you can come back. To me, Silas, Big Moore, and Johnny have played about average. Maybe Johnny slightly above average. Hanson's ceiling isn't that high. So his average is never gonna be that high. So when he has those bad moments, it's not gonna it's it's gonna go from you know, like right here where a lot of guys are right here to way down here. And the real one that I think no one can figure out, and maybe Brian, you can call up Robbie. Maybe you can call your, you can call Conlin up, and y'all can just sit and analyze Parker Clements. Because if you told me Parker took a slight step back this year, you'd be like, "We get it, new coach, new scheme, it, it's okay." He's taken a massive step back, like he's almost a true freshman again. And from a guy that I think we all expected to be playing to really benefit from a new offensive line coach.
1: Yeah. And the thing that's most disappointing is his pass pro, um, which should translate more or less from scheme to scheme. Uh, You know, it's one thing if you, you know, are changing the emphasis from a, primarily zone based scheme to a primarily gap based scheme and struggle in the running game. It's a completely different thing to, you know, shit the bed in pass pro when you grade it out relatively well in, I'd say significant time last year, He wasn't obviously a full-time starter, but he played significant snaps Mm -hmm. last year and graded out pretty well. And it wasn't just against the scrubs or, you know, when we were getting blown out or when we were blowing anybody out, which we didn't do a whole lot of that last year, obviously. But, um, you know, he played significant snaps against pretty solid competition last year. There's no reason that, especially in pass pro, that, he, that we should see this significant of a drop off in his place. So I'm not sure exactly what what's going on there, whether he's in his head or just, you know, a little bit more pressure is kind of put him in a spot where he's not performing as well. Um, I'm not sure, but it, it definitely has not been a good season for him so far. Um, definitely not the season he wanted. Definitely not the season we, we kind of were, were thinking we were going to get from him. Not at all. All right.
0: Obviously, the next one um, through seven games this year, um, it's quarterback and you know, we, we said to ourselves, it's got to be a guy who can start. And even though we've seen Grant Wells have really good moments, it's been some bad ones too, and it's been some inconsistent. And they far outweigh the good moments we've seen. Now, Brian, let me ask your opinion of this. Could you potentially take this off the table if over the next five games he elevates his play, or you still, you want a competition in the spring?
1: I want somebody to push him, um, okay? Because I think we're at a point where we we know that the the, the floor, we know where the floor is for yes, him. We're we not do. sure we're not sure where the ceiling is, and uh, I think if we can get mostly kind of that upper middle of his play okay and we put and we put some more talent around him we might be able to do a little bit of of the things we want to do okay so but i still want to see if he can get pushed whether that helps him whether that helps his 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 growth where whether he gets better uh as a result of that and we see a higher level of play with him um in the off season heading into next year um or whether, you know, somebody we find in the portal can come in here and, and take that job and, and run with it. And, we you know, we're in a, uh, you know, Gerard Evans situation where, you know, we're one quarterback away from, you know, putting some other pieces together. Not saying we're going to go on a run and, you know, win 10 games or anything like that, but more saying a play-elevating quarterback which I don't think right now Wells is, is is the guy that can elevate the play of those around him. He kind of, he is what he is. He's got a great arm in terms of velocity and, and being able to get, drive it down the field. But there's, there's things in there where it, he doesn't make the people around him necessarily better. Um, so we're going to have to improve around him and we can potentially, you know, upgrade that position in the process. All right. All right.
0: Now, with that being said, though, hypothetically, I'm going to throw you a hypothetical out here, by some miracle of God, the Hokies go 5-0 and to 4-1 and to close out the season in his play, you know, minimal picks, under three picks, over 10 touchdowns. And when you look at the game, it's better do you still do it? Or is that when you say, because of what we've seen from 16, 17,
1: 18, 19, 20,
0: 21, and 22, you know what? He showed enough in these last five games. We've got to stick with them next year. If we're going to go portal shopping for a quarterback, it's got to be a young developmental guy who can compete with Devin and Taj and might have the tools to unseat Grant. Two or in a year. That's I'm a getting, good question. That's a good. I'm giving question. you a big ass hypothetical.
1: Yeah, because I mean, I don't know if like scraping into a bowl game is enough to save that job. Well, that's why uh, I said
0: four and one, five and zero.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But, but we're I'm, still kind of you know back ending a uh, a bowl here. Yeah. Um, I don't know because I've seen enough inconsistent play that it would have to be. Very solidly consistent for the remainder, and I'd have to see okay. again. I'm, talk, I'm okay. talking about elevating the play of. I'd like I need to see him elevating the play of others in those games. You want
0: to hear the names Christian Moss, Jalen Jones, and Daywan Lofton having big games with yeah. him at the helm.
1: And and I I like that we're using his legs more, and he's shown the ability there. I want to see that continue along with the passing game taking some steps forward and hopefully that opening up a little bit more in the run game once we're not working with loaded boxes all the time.
0: Awesome. All right. One more on the offensive side of the ball, and we might need to duck Brian when we say this after after emptying the room last year. But let's be honest, we probably are going to be in need of some sort of rotational depth running back. Um. Obviously, I think right now we've heard, probably kept talking, King and Malachi are the one, to. Yep. King has eligibility next year. Clearly, Malachi has eligibility. We've seen flashes of Chance Black and Bryce Duke. Jalen Holston's graduated. There's a few guys still on the roster. I think basically what you're saying is you want some sort of back to compete with Bryce and Chance and push them, if not beat them out.
1: Yeah, I'd like to see somebody pushing for that that third rotation uh, in the running back room. Um, I think we you know potentially could have had that uh, this year um, if we'd have held held on to Ramon Brown. Um, so I'm thinking that that type of caliber player. My okay. right, good deal. So
0: there's seven. where we think on the uh, portal. Right now, roughly midway through the season is when we kind of came up with this, but when you had the episode like last week, we had to put this off a week. All right, defensively, I don't think anybody's going to be a shock on the first one is it's defensive line. And
1: it's they've got to be two deeps. Right. At, at least two of them, and that's especially doubly true if, if, we, if we don't get uh, Pollard and Kendricks back next year which I think they might be back. Um, and it, it
0: is the interior. I mean, Garbutt's likely gone this year. Uh, the Flodarius Payne thing, all going to depend on what happens with the NCAA. Let's not hold our breath
1: there. <laughs> Definitely don't hold your breath. <laughs> don't hold your breath on that.
0: Um, and then with McCray and Nelson, but do you, is it strictly inside for
1: you? Because if Garbutt's gone to me, you need at least one, uh, and and I'd say one almost starting caliber defensive end and at least a rotational piece on the defensive line.
0: Yeah. Now, I do think with the edge, though, I think the way this defense has looked this year, and kind of for the inside, too, I think it's an e- it's an easier sell. If you have someone who's putting out good tape but buried somewhere, you got to start making the phone calls. And I'm sure the phone calls are already being made to players already, but when Garbutt goes, because Garbutt is out of eligibility, right?
1: Yeah.
0: I'm pretty sure he is. I'm going to effort that in a second here. Um, I think so. But, you know, again, the line play has not been a big step back this year at all, but we mentioned in that What If episode, if Barno comes back, or if he had Williams, it would help everybody out a little bit develop. So, We've got to quickly restock that regardless what happened. Now, we could get lucky and Pollard and Kendricks both come back and we go out and find a couple good pieces in the portal. But that's going to be an interesting room next year. Now, you've already said this and kind of gave it away. You said kind of second priority was the safety. And it's got to be at least somebody who can step into a backup role because obviously losing Chamari this year, you lose your leader back there. Yes, Strowman and Peoples have played great, but now it kind of gets scary of who's behind them.
1: Yeah, I think that's the big thing. We've seen – I think we at least need somebody that's either potential starting caliber or at least a rotational player uh, back there uh, to kind of sure things up. And I think it'll help with – the development of some of the younger players because we we don't have to necessarily throw them out there. They don't have to be Chamari Connor next year. You know, they can still work into that role another year. Um if they can get, you know, lean on uh whether it's a veteran that has one or two years of eligibility left, or whether it's a you know, a sophomore that popped that that can kinda come in and they can kind of tag team it.
0: Absolutely there, Brian. Um And what I really find interesting about that room is it's like you're you feel so good about who's played back there right now, right? You feel good about it. But you know at that position, that's the position you get a stinger in your out for three games. Yeah. That's the targeting thing. And I and, and when um and um you know That's where you worry about that position because you know you have to be aggressive. Even in this scheme, it's even more so you have to be aggressive. Now, the next piece I think is one that's going to probably turn some ears, and that's the linebacker room. You still feel good about the linebacker room, but I think what we've seen in the last really month is Keller, Lawson, a few of the other guys, they can play, but they're not quite ready – to be the full time starter. Now, next fall, maybe, maybe going through a spring, being with the ones, yeah. But I think with that, Brian, you're looking for somebody who's probably played significant snaps elsewhere.
1: Yeah, I think that's what we would want to look at there, uh, the, particularly at Mike, just because I don't think we really know what that position is going to look like. Is that going to be Will Johnson next year? Is that going to be Jaden Keller next year? Um, you know, wh- what's Mike going to look like? rolling into 2023 um we've we've kind of been uh you know we have leaned on dax here the last two years um known quantity we know what we're getting from him um you know we're we're kind of going into an area where we don't know uh what that Uh mike position will give us and we're still kind of unsettled at will right i mean tisdale played pretty well in his you know the game back um You know, we still have some question marks, though, with that position in terms of depth, uh, in terms of who's going to be the guy that steps up. Is that going to be Keller's role? Is he going to slide over uh, to Mike? Is that going to be, you know, McDonald's role? Is, uh, you know, it looks like Lawson has settled back into Sam, which I think is a better fit for his skill set, either primarily being in coverage or attacking the line of scrimmage and not so much having to, kind of read and, and, and focus a lot more on technique there. Um, So I I think that's a better fit for him. Um, So, you know, the question is going to be who kind of emerges there as well. So, you know, we got some options there. We got some guys, we've seen a lot of snaps between last year and this year, but we don't really feel settled at either the, the mic or the wheel position kind of heading into next year. So I'd like to see somebody at least come in that could, you know, potentially start at one of those spots. Um, that, that'd be the the ideal situation. Yeah, I'm so
0: freaking luthily. All right, last one on the defensive side of the ball. And I know, Brian, you went through and you talked about Mansour and Cam. We mentioned DJ Harvey. The cornerback room future looks bright, but, you know, with Dorian Strong as well, but once Armani goes – and obviously those guys are going to be stepping up, you're really going to be only three deep at the outside. We know they, they'll they try Harvey out there. So that kind of we landed on, you need to find at least one outside corner, right? One more yeah, and it, doesn't, it doesn't have to
1: be a front-line front player. You know that right now we're looking at Strong and, and Delaney kind of being the, the, the one-two heading into next year. Uh, with Cam and DJ working in there, need to get a fifth in there to get some extra rotation, some flexibility on the outside in case you get a guy that goes down, like we've seen with uh, with Strong this year. Uh, you know, you got to kind of have at least you know three guys, maybe four that can that can line up outside consistently, and at least have one or two guys that can play the nickel.
0: Absolutely. So again, it's one of those positions where you feel great about that end safety with the future, but we're not depth wise there yet. If this was two years from now and those guys were seniors, I think we'd probably feel good because by that time we went through some cycles, we'd have more guys in. So, but right now looking ahead, it's just the, the, the depth's just not there yet. And it's, again, it's why we're saying 15 plus in the portal this year or, you know, 12 plus in the portal this year, excuse me.
1: Yeah. Right, and Brian. I mean, we got some help coming, you know, uh, the, yeah. the class that we have, there's a, there's some pretty decent number of, of secondary pieces. So, you know, maybe your answer's there. Maybe we don't have to quite go fishing as much if there's a couple guys that you think are going to be, you know, as a true freshman, ready to go, especially guys that enroll early. Um, but I'd still keep my eyes peeled uh, for, for those pieces.
0: Absolutely, Brian. All right. So... Let's go over. Take a look at some uh, news and college football notes. And I think for this weekend, really, really cool. What's going on with college game day as they go visit Jackson State versus Southern? I love it for the HBCU community to get that game. They have done this in the past. I know they've done a couple where it's been like the showcase games, like in Atlanta. But yep. this is actually, you know, at Jackson State
1: on campus.
0: On campus. Um, you know, down in Jackson, Mississippi, obviously Dion's a draw. Don't 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 get it wrong. But it's kind of cool reading some backstory in the history of this game and they call it the Boombach Classic. And I was like, Well, that's interesting. Why do they call it the Boombox Classic? Well, you start reading into it the name of the bands, and obviously HBCU culture with the bands, it's unbelievable. If you don't watch it's every what is it, the first Saturday of bowl season, the 12 o'clock game is always that classic. Yep. And they always devote, you get a little bit of the halftime show, but they always devote showing you the band on the field, which is usually amazing. But the reason it's called the Boombox game is because Jackson State's bands is called the Sonic Boom of the South. But the Southern band is called the Human Juice thus the boombox classic. I'm um, going to be really interested to see if they bring Dion on set. Um, because obviously now with the struggles Mike Norvell's had at FSU with Atlanta, with Georgia tech opening up um, potentially some other schools opening up, his name is going to be on fire.
1: Yep. His name is definitely going to be out there. Uh, and, you know, he's earned it. I mean, he, he went there, he's attracted some big names and uh-huh. he's got them playing some really damn good football. He does. So it's not, it's not just, Hey, I brought in, you know, a, a handful of big names and we're doing, I, you know, they're, they're out there making some noise. They and really so, are. So, so, so he's not just out there. I'm, I'm a name attached to this, this position. Um, you know he's actually out there, you know, coaching those guys up pretty well. And it's good to
0: see, and it's, you know, it's gonna be interesting to see where and it's gonna be interesting to see that scene Saturday morning when they go live down at Jackson State on game day. All right, Brian. Um somebody got fired again this week, and it's not from a big program. It is from a significantly smaller program, and it's Will Healy down at UNC Charlotte started the season one and seven. Um, not the greatest record down there. I know it's a program building, but you know, there were whispers and little notes that, man, they like him a lot. Uh, how you feeling that, that, you know, what's happens?
1: what happened? Uh, I feel like we dodged a bullet because Will Healy's name got thrown out there for a lot of jobs this off season uh and virginia tech was one of them and we were very not high on on will healy um he was he was pretty low on our on our list there Um, i don't think he made the list i don't even think he made the dark horse
0: (laughs) if he did i'll have to go back and look but i do not remember talking about will healy in our tops
1: yeah, I don't think we did. If we did, we, it was just kind of like a, a very low, low ranking there. Um, so, yeah, we we dodged a bullet and so did a bunch of other folks. Um, and we see this a lot, right? You know, you get a, a, a young coach. He comes in there. They play inspired for a, a, a season or two. And then all of a sudden the wheels fall off a little bit. Uh, we saw it with Fuente in Blacksburg. Uh, and we're, you know, we're seeing kind of some of similar results there, uh, in UNC Charlotte. So, um, you know, they were, they were kind of the, one of those underdog, you know, look at, look at how they're fighting type teams last year. And now that, you know, they're completely in the, in the mud this year. So again, Very... I think a, a lot of, a lot of, uh, high, I'd say, I'd say low to mid uh, power five teams dodged a bullet on Will Healy there.
0: Absolutely, freaking right. So, Brian, we actually got a commit pickup in football and wrestling back on October 22nd. Jimmy Mullen, who is by all means goes to St. Joseph Regional, plays defensive end for the football team, is a legitimate, legitimate, heavyweight wrestler, yeah. um, commits basically, if you see the tweet, it's basically saying dual sport athlete committing for 2023 for football and wrestling. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to see any of his tape, Brian. He plays defensive end. He's 6'3". He's about 225 pounds, getting up to 250 when he wrestles. Uh, can he legitimately do this? because i mean these seasons overlap a little bit
1: um that's a great question man that's a great question um if the idea is that he's going to be you know more or less a guy that we're looking at on the scout team he's the guy that we're looking at for like really deep depth on the on the travel team then yes yeah, sure um it's going to be hard with how much the seasons do overlap uh, and him being very much a wrestler first um, to, to foresee him playing a significant role on the football squad. Uh, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on.
0: Yep. It is. And the, you know, a little bit of his tape is up there and the video I'm watching to my left, it's uh, he was playing basically nose kind of shoots the gap. They're running like an outside swing pass. And he actually got to the running back about 20 yards downfield and got enough of a hand on him to force him out of bounds. So, obviously, you know, leverage, technique, stuff like that. When you have a wrestler out there, you can tell some guys who – Good combination
1: of size and speed.
0: That's usually what
1: you're looking at, man. That's usually what you're looking at. So probably upside is he
0: probably won't count towards any football scholarship if he's coming here wrestling and seeing his credentials wrestling. I know David Cunningham wrote some good stuff on him. But you see those credentials, it's kind of like, yeah, he's definitely a potential world-class wrestler. Yeah. All right, Brian, before we get into our main topic of Know the Enemy NC State, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital
1: partner. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All right,
0: Brian. So let's kick it off here. Know the enemy, NC State. Let's start with the offense because obviously the biggest story on the offensive side of the ball is just a few weeks ago, Devin Leary, starting quarterback, preseason ACC player of the year, tears his pec, um, tries to go through some rehab and eventually just comes up and says, I'm done for the year. So yep. it really has altered the NC State offense significantly.
1: Yeah, that's going to be the big thing to watch is, is how they adjust around the new quarterback, Jack Chambers. Um, and let me, let's go ahead and start there. Um, you know, Jack Chambers, uh, his throwing game is still a work in progress. Um, they, uh, in the game against Syracuse, he had a lot of kind of quick read one read concepts. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of, um, you know, reading the defense. It was very much get the ball out of your hands quick. Is this guy open? No, Okay. Take off and run. And that's, that's where his asset um he's really an asset for the team is um great athleticism a lot of design runs that were put in place for him qb powers qb draws some sweeps um had a lot of uh, success in the short stuff in terms of throwing the ball but um really great when he had to improvise. So when that first read wasn't there, um, he would kind of go into scramble mode, uh, but he would occasionally get himself into trouble in that. So he had some where he, a few got the first down, but he had some where he tried to bail too quick and got dropped for a sack Cause he put himself in, in a bad spot there. Yeah. Um, and he really hasn't established any chemistry or timing um, in the zone read game either. So um, we saw mesh point, uh, some some problems there, some bad decisions at the mesh point. So, um, that's something else that we could probably take advantage of. And we're not looking at a guy that's going to press the ball downfield consistently, though he will take a few shots here and there to kind of keep the defense honest.
0: Yep, and and with Chambers, I mean, he's not a big guy at all 5'10", 180 He, uh, you know, originally coming out of high school, he committed to Charleston Southern, and he was a starter there for three years. So when NC State brought him in. At least it was a guy they knew had played at the FCS level where being down there for three seasons as a starter, you know, he threw 38 touchdowns. He had 27 picks, but, you know, he also rushed for 14 touchdowns over a thousand yards in the three seasons as a starter, you know, best season passing wise was 2020. He was at 63%. The other two seasons, under 60% um, and his high season is 2,500 yards. So contain, it's like that, right? Contain, 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 because he's not going to kill you with his arm. Um, But obviously they're running attack, Brian, you know, with him being there now versus Larry, it does open that up a little bit more. And let's talk about a couple of those running backs. Let's talk about um, Jordan Houston, the five foot 10 192-pound running back in Jordan, out of Oakton, Virginia, went to private Flint Hills High School up in Northern Virginia, a composite three-star out of Virginia. He was a top-20 Virginia player back in 2019. It did say the Hokies did report an offer. I don't know how much that is. It's always when you see an offer, it's an offer.
1: But 2019, is, I mean, that was – you know, that was one of the we – only, we only took, I think, two in that class, not three the next year or four the next year or whatever the fuck. Where the hell is it? <laughs> well, was it? we were just jacking things up.
0: And, and, you know, so far this year, you know, as the primary starter, you know, 300 yards on the ground, averaging right at four carry, no touchdowns on the ground. But obviously, Brian, I'm sure in that tape um, you saw a little bit of that passing game because he does – he, is in a, he has that element there, and he's had that element since he stepped on campus in 2019.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's kind of a one-cut-and-go-back in terms of the running game. Um, he's got pretty good vision between the tackles, but he's not really that home run threat in the run game, and he's not pushing the pile or anything like that. He's not that, like, dynamic short yardage back. Um, but where he makes his hay is in the passing game in all areas, and he's dangerous in the open field um, in the passing game. Yeah. Um, so that, that's one thing that we're going to have to keep bottled up is that they're going to get him the ball quickly in space, uh, especially with Chambers out there. So uh, got to be able to get him down to the ground pretty quick. Well, that's
0: interesting to see here because, I mean, the the, the passing game stats, I mean, it, it backs up what you say there. I mean, he's averaging 12 a catch. But he only has one total touchdown all around. And, you know, I'm I'm wondering – Without the threat of Leary there, when you looked at Syracuse, were they still trying to get him out
1: with the running yeah, that, with the passing game? They were getting him out, not quite as much, um, okay. but they were they were definitely still trying to get him out um, as as consistently as they could. Um, he was definitely very, um, I wouldn't say heavily used, but they definitely kept him as as a, as a big part of their game plan. All right. But obviously you take Leary out,
0: it, it 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 doesn't worry you as much, right? It doesn't worry you as much as like, okay, you're going to take your best running back, and yes, he is a good pass catcher, and you're going to take him away from putting the ball in his hands immediately. I take that all day, knowing yeah. Chambers and obviously his completion percentage and everything like that.
1: Yeah, what they're not doing a lot of is like going empty and like lining him up as a true wide out and letting him – Kind of operate out there. They didn't do that very much against Syracuse, with, which they did do that a lot more when Leary was in there. Yeah.
0: Now they do have a second running back, Brian, and that's, I know I'm going to butcher this. So if you've got the uh, pronunciation guide somewhere, <laughs> bring it up for me. And that's Dabi Sumo Kong Bay, uh, six foot, 210 pound from Willingboro, New Jersey, running back. I got you. Uh, right.
1: You got it? Are you pulling it up De- here? Demi Sue McCormbe. McCormbe. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Well,
0: anyway, class of 2021, composite, uh, 86 three-star with 247. Um, Top 25 player in New Jersey. Again, another good state. You're getting top 25 players from usually. There's a chance they can turn out to be something. Um, I know – he did not play against Syracuse, so it will be interesting to see if he goes against the Hokies. But, you know, in his redshirt freshman year, solid numbers across the board. You know, 5.8 a carry, three touchdowns. They're using him a little bit in the passing game with about 12 receptions. Uh, what's the tape showing as him compared to Houston?
1: Yeah, he's a little bit more of their, uh, their kind of perimeter running back, um, the guy that they use to kind of attack the perimeter in the running game. Um, He also does a really great job of like cutting back on those zone plays, especially inside zone. A lot of times when he cuts back across the defense that creates a big crease, he can get up in there and and make some some big runs that way. He's also a good lead blocker in the in the pass pro and and quarterback lead game. Um, So if he's back in this game, that might be a little bit more effective than we saw against Syracuse. Um, and he is also used in the passing game, but those are more like checkdowns and screens versus the dynamic threat that we get from from Houston. Interesting. Interesting there. Um, who worries you more? Um, Houston, just because of what he can do in, in both areas the run and the pass. Um, I'm not so much worried about what what Demi can do in in the, in the passing game. He's more of a, a just a check down guy. If we can keep him bottled up between the tackles, I think we're good to go there. Uh, um, Houston is the guy that can can bother me there.
0: All right, let's hope they continue to save him, Robbie Michael Allen. I'd have to go back and look on the board because I don't you know I don't see him registering in the stats here. And obviously Brian, I'm assuming looking at the tape, he didn't jump there if he played any. So. Let's hope they keep him bottled up for the rest of the yeah, year. Yeah, we don't need to see him this week. Nah, eh, we, we don't. We there, don't. There's we don't.
1: four games for them after that. If, they, if they're going to work him in, let's, let's hope they save him for those last four.
0: Exactly. All right, let's take a look at one of the wide receivers, and that's Keon Lesane, six, excuse me, 5'11", 190 pounds from Lumberton, North Carolina. And seeing the first full game that Chambers played of the receivers, he did get – Good amount of targets with four receptions and 39 yards for in the long of 16. season wide just 20 receptions he did have quite a few against Clemson um yeah, just six for 37 but obviously he was
1: part of that game so yeah um, and, and and he's a guy that he's got good hands he's a kind of a shifty target uh, but he's more of a Stick mover than he is a playmaker. You're not going to see any big plays down the field with him um, very often. Uh, more like of curls, quick outs, screens, some shallow crossers. Occasionally, you'll see him run a corner route. Um, that's kind of the the, the big the big uh, big routes you'll see him run um, in this offense. And uh, they will occasionally take a shot with him between the hashes. Um, but they're not – he's not a guy that's going to just line up outside and run past a cornerback. All right. So,
0: let me ask this, Brian, and you've been watching the tape. Obviously, Thayer Thomas was their big wide receiver, right? Yep. How much – I mean, I don't want to say is he just completely – I mean, when when you saw number – when you saw number five – when you watch the Syracuse tape in the game, I mean, is it just
1: Chambers just can't get it to him? Um, It was a little bit of that. I think just because of the, the skill set and because of the way uh, Syracuse was playing them, okay. he didn't really have a whole lot of opportunities to, to operate the way he normally does. And it definitely goes away from, from Chambers strength, what Thayer Thomas does well. So it's kind of a little bit of an oil and vinegar situation there. Okay. Uh, we we got to make sure we don't give him opportunities where, where Chambers can get an easy throw to him though.
0: Yep, Cause he definitely can bust big ones. He does have a long catch this year of 75 yards. All right, Brian, let's do real quick here. Let's jump on the scheme here. The scheme is Tim Beck, Tim Beck, who came from Texas where he was the OC from 2017 2019. He's been at NC State now since
1: 2020. Um, what's bag do? Uh, kind of that smash-mouth uh, spread RPO game. Lots of 21 and 12 personnel. Uh, lots of motion and, and shifts and, and kind of window dressing. You'll see a lot of uh, jet motion, bubble motion, orbit motion. Um, they're going to throw a little bit of everything to try to get the defense misaligned and out-leveraged. Um, you'll see a lot of screens and quick throws to the perimeter to get guys in space, and they are selective with deep shots down the field. And especially now with Leary out, uh, much more selective, at least in the tape that we have so far of, of what Chambers likes to do down the field. Let me ask this: I mean,
0: do you think he's purposely going to play a very controlled game, not take
1: a risk against a two and five hockey team? Yeah, and I, I think what we're about to talk about is the reason why he's going to do that. <laughs> all right. Well, let's flip it over. Let's talk about the
0: defensive side of the ball and let's jump out straight up and let's talk about Drake Thomas because we're talking about three linebackers tonight. Y'all know, normally we'll mix it up. Safety DB. giving you all three of the backers. giving you all three of the linebackers because, you know, they all three, they are all leading the team in tackling and legitimately – They've accounted for as a group this year 132 tackles in seven games. They are a dynamic unit, but let's talk about Drake Thomas first. Drake Thomas, linebacker, six foot, 230, Wake Forest, North Carolina. When he came out, he was a composite three star uh, back in the class of 2019. Um, a top 25 inside linebacker, uh, you know, had looks from Alabama, had looks from Clemson. And so he got some looks from a lot of different schools. Tech took a look at him. I mean, obviously, you go look at it, Charlie Wiles, who used to do North Carolina, and Bud was a secondary. So, obviously, if he caught those
1: two guys' eyes, it said something. So what's the tape say on uh, tape say says that he's a damn good outside linebacker um, plays really fast uh, likes to penetrate and jump in the rushing lanes attacks and pursues along the edge very well um, the only really weakness in his game is that you know you can't get him to over pursue or, or get fooled with window dressing so if we're able to do anything with the misdirection we might be able to to get him out of position there but you know, when he gets a good read and uses his technique, he is as disruptive as any player you'll see.
0: Yeah. And like I said,
1: the whole unit,
0: he's leading the team, 50 tackles, three pass deflected. Now, Brian, with there cause we're going to talk about the other outside linebacker next here. Are there, is there a field side, outside linebacker and a boundary side or is it
1: one's on the left,
0: one's on the right and that's where
1: they stay. Uh, they kind of mix it up sometimes. Usually it's, uh, they're going strong and weak um but sometimes they'll go they'll go field to boundary if there is a uh if they go tempo if the offense goes tempo okay so there is no way
0: to say drake's always going to be on the boundary side tom wilson who we're going to talk about next here's always going to be on the field so to watch number 32 and 11 see where they're lining up every time because you can't guarantee where they're going to be
1: it's yeah, it's not a it's not a true key. Um they uh you know primarily you'll see uh Wilson uh playing to the strong side. Okay. But but like I said, depending on if the offense goes tempo or not, that could switch up. All right. Well let's talk about it. Let's talk about Peyton
0: Wilson, the other linebacker, 6'4", 230 pounds out of Hillsborough, North Carolina. Uh came out in the class of twenty eighteen. And he was a stud. I mean, a stud in every sense. He was a four-star. Two-four-seven had him as a 97. He was a top 40 player. He was top four outside linebacker in the country. He was the number four player in North Carolina. And if you take a look at his offer list, it's all the big names. There's Alabama. There's Clemson. There's Florida State. There's Georgia. There's Penn State. We did make the offer back way back in 2018. Um, and this season so far, I mean, 42 total tackles. What's the tape showing? Because, you know, obviously a lot of accolades there from the recruiting services. And, you know, in in last year, didn't play. I think he got
1: hurt last year, but 2020, 108 tackles. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, really good. Out, another good, really good outside linebacker, um, really elite pursuit skills. He's really strong at the point of attack. Uh, good at wrong arming the puller, keeping good leverage in the gap. Um, good open field tackler. Um, if there's a weakness in his game is that if you can get on him, he's not great at shedding blocks. Um, but, but if he's shooting gaps and, you know, playing, playing with, with, with leverage, it's hard it's hard to keep him off the ball the ball carrier there. All right. So there's two really
0: good linebackers. And well, let's just talk about the third linebacker. Let's talk about Isaiah Moore. The six foot two, two hundred and thirty-two pound. This is gonna hurt everybody when I say this. He's from Chester, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Ouch. Class of twenty seventeen. He was A high three-star by 247 sports at an 89, number 12 player in the state, top 20 outside linebacker in the country, um, played at L.C. Bird. And five years ago, L.C. Bird was still one of the dogs here in Richmond. They I wouldn't say completely fell off, but with the rise of Highland Springs and Verona returning, they're not as big as they used to be. Um, We did not offer. But he was not as highly recruited coming out by some people, only a few offers here and there. But he's making people pay for that, and NC State took the right angle. You know, 40 total tackles this year. He does have a sack. And what's the tape showing on
1: Mr. Moore? Yeah, he's there, Mike. Um, he's often matched up in coverage on the inside, most tight end. Um when in man coverage Uh, he's really good at shedding at shedding blocks Uh, really good at working through the trash uh, to get to his spot and make plays in the run game Um, the only real weakness in his game is that he will occasionally miss tackles in the open area so if you can get him in space um, you kind of you kind of put him at a disadvantage but if he's working in in, inside that traffic uh, and you don't have a big lane to kind of maneuver he's gonna get you down all right. Um, let me be very frank with you, Brian.
0: Of these three linebackers, who has the potential to do the most damage Thursday night?
1: I'm going to say Drake Thomas just because of how his quickness. Okay. Fine. That's, that's where I'm going to go. I, th- I think his quickness is going to be, could could be a difference maker for us righty, All right. So we talk about the three linebackers because obviously
0: sometimes when you have that good of a unit, you just need to discuss them. And I know Brian, I kind of left the last one open up for you and you shot me and said, you want to talk about Josh Harris. And it's funny, Josh Harris, six foot four, 325. He is from Roxborough, North Carolina. So for Robbie, who's listening out there, and any of our other friends from Halifax County. This man was a class of 2019. He played for Person High. Brian, a school you were very familiar with in your four years of playing football for Halifax. Unfortunately. unfortunately. Every year. (laughs) Class of 2019 and a pretty big-time recruit. And it's why you continue to go to these smaller parts of your state to recruit, because guys like Josh Harris come out. He was a four-star Top twenty-five defensive tackle in the country, top two hundred and fifty player in the composite, top fifteen in the state of Carolina when he came out, and and he was recruited. You see the name Alabama, UC Clemson, um, Wisconsin came down and made an offer, A and Tennessee, Ohio State. So highly recruited guy in a Little Person County, and even though his numbers aren't big, Brian, um, I think we see that size. I think we probably know where you're about to go with what he does.
1: Well, you know, when, when we talk about the, uh, the three, three uh, you talk about the guy in the middle, being the guy that helps the three guys that I just mentioned eat all night. Um, and th- that's what he does. He's a space eater. Uh, he does a really good job of occupying blockers. He regularly reestablishes the line of scrimmage. And, and that's big for, for a, a type of player in this system. He's underrated as a pass rusher he has a really good uh, push pull in a, in a bull rush um, and he uses those pretty regularly and, and he's able to get some some quick penetration on the quarterback um the only thing I'll say about him his motor could be a little better and that might come with a you know another year or two uh conditioning in the program but yeah uh definitely dynamic player for for his size
0: and now I'm going back throw that message up real quick even though this is a long time ago, he actually did go to Halifax County schools until the sixth grade. So he would, I guess he would have not played middle school ball, right? Middle school, still six, seven, eight. Yep. He just missed it. (laughs) Just just missed it. Just missed being a lion. Just missed being a lion and playing for the team. All right. Well, Brian, let's flip it. We obviously are super familiar with this defensive system um, with Tony Gibson but let's just talk about it a little bit more. Let's talk about that three three five stag that Tony runs.
1: Yeah, it's a three three five. It does a good job of confusing the the blocking schemes with, you know, some unbalanced and shifting that can get them confused at times. Um, they don't bring a lot of heavy pressure. Usually, three down plus one um, is what they bring in terms of uh, of rushing uh, the, the passer. Uh, so they will blitz occasionally, but it, that's not something that they do very often. It's kind of where it's coming from. You don't really know where it's coming from, and and, and that's where it kind of creates that confusion across the offensive line. Um, they get consistent pressure by bringing just those four, um, but it's one of those again. If if you can get get the run going against them, they become vulnerable because they're not very great in the back end, which we didn't talk about anyone on the back end, and and for a pretty pretty decent reason there They're they're not bad, but they're, they're, there's nothing outstanding um, that, that really kind of jumps off the screen.
0: All right, so there it is, Know the Enemy. Uh, so remember those names, remember some of those things we're talking about with the scheme. All right, Brian, let's go over to the Hokies Keys. And I know I was, I told y'all I it was going to be what I said the rest of the freaking year until we start doing it. But let's just be straight up, it's going to be, How good can we run the ball on Thursday night? Um, They're decent, you know. They're a decent team against the run. You know, they're essentially top there. They're thirty-six in the country. They average right at four point three a carry. They're giving up just over one hundred and twenty yards a game. But, and I don't. It's really weird you see this, but Devin Leary goes down. And, yes, they played Jordan Travis at FSU, a very mobile quarterback. And then they played Syracuse with one week to prepare. But the last two games, this defense is uncharacteristically giving up six and a half per carry. Now, it's it's, – I'm trying to suffice that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is that – yeah, if, if we can get and we've seen it, because you you've had back to back weeks where you've got a quarterback that is either very mobile or highly mobile. Schrader has has good mobility. Um, yeah, you know, we saw with FSU what happened there. Mm-hmm. If we can run the ball as effectively as we did with Wells, um, in our last game, I think that's that's something that we can look at. That's something we can build on. Um. And that'll, that'll open up some more things for the running backs as well. So if we can get, I'm not saying we need to get that six and a half a carry that we've seen.
0: That'd be last, great.
1: Yeah, that'd be great. That'd, <laughs> that'd be great. great. But if we can get, you know, a shade above that average in that, you know, 135 mm-hmm. one to, to 150 range as a team and somewhere around four 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 and a half a carry. four and a half? I'll go four and a half.
0: Okay, well, let me ask you this because I think we could look lower because I think them losing Leary, I mean, do you think if we run the ball 40 times and go three and a half a carry without Leary, and I'm prefacing this because they don't – Leary's a good enough quarterback against a team like we're built this year. He could potentially beat us, right? Yeah. He could have a game where he beats us, not the rest of the team. So I say 35 times, would you take three and a half a carry? And that would put us at, what, about 120?
1: I'm going to throw you a caveat there. Okay. Because not all three and a half per carries are built the same, right? True. So if if we're talking more boom or bust, i say no, that would not suffice. If we're talking consistently,
0: consistently.
1: as in consistently, not just – on the whole getting three point five, but if we're consistently getting three to four yards every time we rush the ball, yes. then yes. If we're having a gain of twenty and then we got back to back negative, negative. Of one two, <laughs> then no. No, we're that that's not that's not <laughs> gonna yeah. get it done. Um
0: I like that caveat. And that's the caveat I want to see because if you're telling me we're averaging three and a half and if our long all night's twelve, but we're still averaging three and a half that means they're not getting in the backfield. That means we're getting line of scrimmage or those one or two yard gains every time we touch the ball. We're moving forward consistently. Yep. Because to your point, what scares the hell out of you saying me saying three and a half is well, what if Keyshawn catches just catches the crease like we've seen a couple of times and goes 65 yards? That means the other twenty nine carries are going to be about what one point five a carry. A lot of losses. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, so I, I'll, I'll take. what say.
1: I'll take a touchdown and two field goals over that one long touchdown.
0: As long as we're continuously,
1: yeah. Moving if because if we're consistently moving the football, then we're consistently getting into scoring range and putting some points on the board. And without Leary, some points is going to keep us in this game.
0: That's, I mean, it's big because it's one of those games because it's Chambers. I do think Tim – I think Beck's going to play close to the vest. I think he knows he has a good defense on the other side. I think Dorn's going to play close to the vest because what he doesn't need is Jack Chambers going out there and throwing a pick six
1: or taking points off the board, right? He, does, he doesn't want to end up in a similar situation that we put BC in early in that game. Where you know they have some things that they can do well, but they're having to play catch up the whole time. Makes and I'm not saying that. And obviously, they don't have a an offensive line as awful as as Boston College's, uh, at least especially as they were when we played them. They've, they've, they they've they're a little bit improved since then, but at the same time, you, you never like to play from behind two scores. So if, if, if if, I I don't think they're going to come out aggressive in this game, at least not on the offensive side.
0: Got it. Well, let's flip it down. Let's talk about the Hokies run defense, because I think I, I think chambers out there that always worries you as a running quarterback because it feels like it's just been our Achilles heel for years upon years now, but just in general, you know, they have two solid running backs who can make gains. Um, And they're coming off playing two good defenses, especially two good run defenses. You know, Florida State's 22nd in the country. Syracuse is, you know, let me get their rank here. I had it up a second ago and it went away. Syracuse, 44th in the country. So they did not play. Excuse me on that, Brian. I had the wrong data point up here. Give me one moment. But we know Syracuse has a good defense. We've seen that all year Syracuse has a very good defense overall and and, you know 39th against the run Florida State not as good against the run but when you watch those two games and just kind of watch the running attack how big is it like if because if you say if you say we get three if we give up 3.7 a carry to them well, first of all, the game's gonna be ugly anyway.
1: I yep. mean, it's gonna be really ugly if
0: they go three point seven to carry.
1: Yeah, if they go three point seven to carry, then it gets really ugly because, and in that in that situation, I mean, we're kind of on equal footing there because if if they're struggling to run the ball, they're having to put Chambers in a situation he's not great in. I'd probably take, on the whole what wells can do over what chambers can do really it's it's j- just just narrowly because i I, th- I think wells can make a couple throws down the field at a better clip than what chambers can Cham- chambers might nickel and dime you he might throw you know, quick outs screens little flares to the running back and wide receiver things that can kind of get you some maybe some yards after the catch but he's not going to attack you downfield consistently Okay. That's something we can do a little bit better, I think. So that's where there's some opportunity there. If we can stop their rushing attack early and get them where they have to kind of use those um, those quick plays to the, to the wide receivers and the running backs as de facto rushing plays because they can't really generate anything between the tackles unless they run their quarterback, that's something to look at.
0: All right. Gotcha. All right. Another big one and it's kind of the story of the year, right, is we have to avoid turnovers. Yep. And now we're going against a team that has forced 13 total turnovers in seven games. They're almost getting two turnovers a game. And I'm sure you didn't want to hear this, Brian. They have 11 interceptions. They do. Um, They're top 15 in the country in that. They're, they're top – Thirty in the country in forced turnovers. If if we don't play a clean game, you know we're already kind of behind the eight ball. But knowing that they don't have the if it was Leary, we could afford zero. Maybe we can afford one. I want zero because if we if we turn
1: it over, we're giving a hamstrung offense more chances. Absolutely, we we this is a game where I think I mean turnovers kind of goes both ways here. I think we need to potentially force one to give our offense an extra chance here uh, maybe with a short field. And I think we need to do a very good job of, of, of protecting the football. know, um, yeah, they will, they will get an interception here and there. Um, and most of that comes off of them, their, their ability to get pressure with four and force those bad throws.
0: And there's your so, big thing if you have eight guys if you have seven guys back in coverage if you have eight you're, uh, you're getting penalized but if you have seven guys back in coverage able to make a play I mean that's another big thing and again I I'll, I'll talk about turnovers defensively real quick too I mean I mean Brian we're literally the fourth worst team in the country at forcing turnovers we had a yep. 5 for the season and eventually you say to yourself can't there be a regression to the mean and by that, that means we would get three on
1: Thursday night. <laughs> and we've been close a, a handful of times, handful man. So it's not—it's not just that you know we're not there. It's that we're there, and sometimes we don't you just don't quite make the play. Yeah. Um, so we got to get better at that. And and the last thing we'll talk about um, as you far stood as stood on the table is for
0: it, he, offensive
1: I, wrinkles.
0: I had before he gets deep into it. I had something else I wanted to discuss. We start shooting it, and you say. I want this so it's all yours big man
1: yeah we, we got to see some offensive wrinkles um i like the scheme overall but prize already talked about it um we're a little bit too vanilla in what we're trying to do we are not doing a good job of just going out there and road grading teams and then throwing play action off of that um because we haven't been able to run effectively our play action has not been effective. That means that our quick passing game is also very predictable because when we're trying to get those short, quick passes to the tight end and to the running back, they work here and there, but the defense starts keying on them. They take that away. And that's why we've seen some stagnant drives happen in those second and third quarters until we start mixing things up a little bit to close out the game. We got to get better at, getting some wrinkles in the offense and we got to be better at adjusting at halftime so when they try to take some of those things away we're ready with a good counter uh in the second half so we don't hit those roadblocks that we've seen to start the second half on offense um you know I want to see some some more creativity in the passing game I'd like to see us go to some quick passes that aren't those kind of like quick quick screens and quick outs to the tight ends and to the running backs um i want to see us mix up and maybe run some counters off of that or some throwbacks or you know something to kind of get the defense moving one direction and attack them the other direction Uh, because right now we're not taking advantage of some of that flow that we're getting to those bread and butter plays that we've established
0: yeah and and again the bread and butter isn't the best of it but i think to brian's point is if the bread and butter ain't doing it you start throwing the wrinkles the eyes the feet start moving and yep. so when you throw those little wrinkles you do those unique things it makes guys think and then when you run a bread and butter inside power or something right well if you're putting a little window dressing again something that to me I, we you always saw as a staple of the wisconsin offense was like running a tight end around or we'll run a little sweep like that where it's then it goes into the power. We don't see things like that.
1: And those things
0: are what makes linebackers move and make it a lot easier for the linemen to get upfield. So it will be interesting.
1: And we haven't seen a lot of wheels off of those tight end quick outs and screens, Um, not as many as I thought we'd see, where we can kind of take advantage of them and their aggressiveness jumping that route. Well, wouldn't it be nice to see both Thomas and King on the
0: field at the same time, where when you run a wheel out of that, because that linebacker is going to stay home a couple more tenths of a second, right? Because if you're showing up, again, I always could say throw a fake screen, fake the draw, that linebacker is not going to move. And if the safeties are focused on this, you do slip out the wheel and things like that. So Yeah, well, you can also
1: put two running backs out there and send one one way and one the other, you get an extra linebacker out of the box.
0: But let's just say this at least as a fan our concerns are being addressed vocally yep which is a complete turnaround from the last few years because we don't need to be vanilla we need to play the best players we need to do this i know some people will say well that's just words well would you rather have No action, no words, or would you rather at least have words? Because what it tells you is if somebody keeps screwing up, somebody might get their asses fired. Yeah,
1: we at least know at at this point that our head coach sees it and is acknowledging it. Now, whether he does something about it, that's to be seen. But we're at at least getting the right message of, hey, I see this. I hear you. we're, we're trying to address that and then let the chips fall where they may. And hopefully we see some chips start falling uh, in the right direction here this weekend or this Thursday. Let's hope so. Well, let's go to
0: those predictions, Brian. And, um, you know, it's even with without – if Devin Leary's here, I, this score's a lot uglier to me. But I still just can't do it. I think NCAA, NC State has a home field advantage. Their defense is significantly better than our offense, although our defense is better than their offense without Leary. I think this is low scoring. I'm still trying to figure out how the over-under is 40. It was 42 and 43 earlier in the week. I don't get that, but I think NC State does pull one off like a
1: 17-10 win. Yeah, I'm kind of in that same ballpark. Um, Yeah, I think – their defense is just a little bit better than our defense. Um, I think it's an ugly game. I think we're both not great offensively. I think it's a 16 to 13 NC State victory. All righty. Well, Brian, big screeners
0: last week was good to both of us. We both hit our games. Your Okie State taking the uh home dog with the points, they ended up winning outright, and then. Thanks to a late sort of nothing touchdown, Oregon-UCLA goes over at the Autzen Zoo. And this weekend,
1: Brian, where are you taking us on your big screen? Uh, I'm going to the bourbon brawl. Uh, Tennessee, a little Tennessee whiskey against some Kentucky bourbon. Um, uh, In that one, uh, the over – is over under 63 i'm actually going to take the over there um the spread is 13. tennessee is a 13 point home favorite i think that's just a little a little too much for me um, i think tennessee definitely wins this but i think it's more in the kind of the 10 11 point range so give me kentucky in the 13 and i'm going to take that over at 63 all right so brian kentucky that's a night game right At the 7 o'clock? 7 o'clock,
0: yep. 7 o'clock. All right. Well, for me, I looked around and I tried. There's some ranked matchups that are later. Obviously, it's a big one at noon with Ohio State and Penn State. I'm not going to be here for that. And then, lo and behold, I find number one team in the country is playing Florida. And of our age group, this is the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. I've had some colleagues at work go to this game. I've had some fraternity brothers go to this game. A, it's one of those if you want to go to a party weekend, whether you like either team or not, go to it. Because apparently down in Duval, that is one wild-ass weekend. Currently, we've got Georgia at 23-and-a-half and and an over-under of 56-and-a-half. I'm not touching 23-and-a-half. Even though Georgia is superior, this is one of those get up games, right? Yep. This is a rivalry. They don't like each other. Half the stadium's red, half the stadium's orange. And I sit here that under 56 is intriguing because I think that's where I got to go. I got to go under. I think Georgia wins. I don't. I, could I see them winning by 30? Could I see them winning something like. yeah. Could I see it being something like 28, you know, 28-10? Yeah. Because that Georgia offense has been this, up and down. And they are playing a significantly better team this week. So, or player-wise. Napier's getting there schematically, but player-wise it's probably the best team they've seen in a while. So I'll take the under that game and just reminisce and, you know, we're getting loaded this weekend between the bourbon brawl and the cocktail party. We might stumble in here on Saturday night.
1: I like that. I like that.
0: (laughs) Brian, anything breaking the last hour and 20 minutes here? I'm not seeing anything, buddy. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up this episode of the boundary corner podcast brought to you by main street pharmacy in Blacksburg, Virginia. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website, boundarycornerbt.com to listen to all of our episodes. While you're there, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, subscribe to our YouTube account. Thank you all for subscribing to that. That has been getting more and more subscribers every week. We appreciate it. Also, your favorite podcast source, Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long, he plays us in, he plays us out. This week, check Jason at the Harvest Fest at the Grandin Village Farmer's Market from 8 to 12 on Saturday morning. So check him out there. Also, go to his website, jasonlongmusic.com, where you can link to all of his music on Apple, Spotify, his YouTube, and Facebook pages, including the Summer 2022 album. We thank you for listening. And as always, let's go. Okie. Okay. i